Welcome to the Gate of Doom and Dungeon Podcast. I'm your host, Leo. And today, I'm going to start off with one of my favorite films, Jaws. Released in 1975 in the summer. And with a budget of about... Uh, $2 million, I would say. Not sure. Um, it was the first film uh, to gross $100 million and become the first summer blockbuster film uh, directed by Steven Spielberg. The music by John Williams is wonderful. Everyone knows that theme when that comes in. And the film still continues to make people afraid to swim in the water. And I also, uh, I'm afraid to swim in the ocean. I, I don't go into deep uh, water uh, at all. Lakes, uh, oceans, uh, the ocean terrifies me. So I decided I'll just stick with the movies. I mean, I'll go on, I'll go out on a boat, uh, but I won't do uh, go in there and swim. Maybe some, maybe someday in my older years, I'll, I'll do a shark cage diving, maybe if I get around to it. But um, Jaws, Jaws is taken from a book by Peter Benchley, who also did a movie, uh, wrote, uh, did a novel called Creature, and he did The Beast. He does aquatic uh, creature tales. But Jaws concentrates on a small town known as, uh, known as Amity, Amity, on Amity Island. And um, it's a summer town that relies on tourists and fishing spots and um, people to come in and swim in on the beaches. When, when, a, when a rogue great white shark starts to attack and it starts to kill people in the water, uh, Chief Brody, played by Roy Schreider, begins to investigate. And he brings in a, um, a, a marine biologist played by Richard Dreyfus named Matt Hooper. And then later in the film, they meet a uh, experienced fisherman who was a war veteran as well in World War II, uh, played by uh, uh, Robert Shaw named Quint. And Quint is, uh, Quint is a character who um, uh, is featured in the movie. And he's introduced in a great scene where they're debating what to do with the shark and how to deal with the shark. And, you know, someone makes a joke is, is the, is the, is the bounty on the shark cash or check. And one woman says, I don't think that's funny at all, at all, you know, and then he scratches his fingernails on the chalkboard and he makes this long speech of how he's going to catch the shark, you know, and then at the end of it, he says, I'll give you the head, the tail, the whole damn thing. You know, I'll catch this bird for you. It won't be easy. You know, he's such a great character. He's memorable. Uh, he has an Irish accent because uh, Robert Shaw was Irish. And the story goes that he was pretty tipsy on the set for the most part. But he is the heart and soul of the movie, is the Quint character. It's, it turns out to be very much like the Moby Dick uh, character of that story. He wants to go after the white whale because in his mind, the sharks wounded him when he was on the Indianapolis. He was delivering the bomb to the air base and um, they had delivered it. But on their way back, the two, uh, two torpedoes were shot into their side by a Japanese sub 
and they the ship sank to the bottom and he was there with a bunch of men uh as he tells in the story uh 1100 men going to the water vessel went down in 12 minutes you know didn't see the first shark for a few hours but then up to up to up to a thousand sharks showed up and they lost about 316 men lived and sharks took the rest out of 12 1100 men on uh i think it was june i think it was june the 5th 1945 is when he tells the story i have to watch the movie again because the speech is one of the best speeches put to move to film and the way he monologues it is really brilliant and richard dreyfus knew enough to sit back and listen to him talk because he's this very eccentric character who is pretty wild in the movie and uh he's laughing at a lot of things but then when he gets serious about the shark he you see that he's very serious about it too and he and he knows his stuff and uh the movie is filled with many quotable lines and the effects at the time were an animatronic shark that um was used and it was the same guy who built the giant squid from 20,000 leagues under the sea i don't know his name right now off the top of my head but he was the same guy who built that creature in that movie and 20,000 leagues under the sea is another great classic by 20th century fox starring kirk douglas where and james mason as nemo where they take on a giant squid at the end of the movie and that was also a great film but jaws jaws had three sequels and there have been many knockoff shark movies since then recently we've had the shallows which i really enjoyed and we've had 47 meters down and 47 meters down uncaged we've also had deep blue sea and a movie with uh, christy swanson called red water and lou diamond phillips which was okay effects effects were done by rob botine um there have been a lot of shark movies and recently we had the meg with jason statham and the meg 2 is coming out soon um it looks like a lot of fun which is this hundred foot shark which is ridiculous you would even make godzilla terrified but jaws was one of the first movies to start its own subgenre of aquatic terror but what really makes the movie watchable is not just the shark itself it's the characters you remember the character of chief brody roy schreider the character of matt hooper the marine biologist played by richard dreyfus and the character of quint played by robert shaw those three men it's the camaraderie between guys the brotherhood that develops the, the friendship that develops between them hunting this shark at the end of the movie and they do have a great moment where they sing, you know, show me the way to go home. I'm tired and want to go to bed. You know, I'm had a little drink about an hour ago and it's got right to my head. You know, they sing that song and then the shark hits, you know, and I won't say any more about the movie um, other than it's a high recommend Jaws 2. Jaws 2 is decent and is the only good sequel, in my opinion, of the series. And then after that, Roy Schreider returns. Is a French director, Janah Schwark, who also directed a movie called Bug, which had these giant copper tone uh, roaches that would eat people, which is a uh, recommend if you don't like bugs, it'll scare you a lot. Um, and he also directed a, another movie I'm, I'm foggy on right now, but more to come. 
Um, I'll, I'll talk about this French director uh, later in a future episode. Um, he directed Jaws 2. Jaws 2 is a decent sequel. It's the only good sequel in the entire series. The third one is in 3D with Louis Gossett Jr., who runs this SeaWorld uh, theme park. And after the Great White's baby is killed, it comes for revenge to this SeaWorld theme park. Dennis Quaid plays the grown-up, one of the grown-up sons of, of Roy Schreider. And then the fourth one, Jaws the Revenge, is so bad, it's pretty unwatchable. Uh, Lorraine Gary returns as as uh, Roy Schreider's wife. She was um, she was in the first two movies. She was not in the third one, but she returns in the fourth one. And Roy Schreider's character had died of a heart attack. Uh, she says he died of the fear, but he had just died of a heart attack. So that's And he never wanted to return after Jaws 2 because he felt he had already nailed the role in the first movie and didn't want to, you know, he paid him a lot to come back for the second one. But he didn't get along with the director too well, but he still gave a good performance in Jaws 2. So those are the Jaws movies. There is a fifth movie called Cruel Jaws, which is supposed to be the unofficial fifth sequel. I haven't seen it. I've heard it's very bad. I'm not going to waste my time on it. Another shark movie. This is not just a not just a Jaws themed uh, episode, but this is basically about shark movies. I've been wanting to talk about shark movies for a long time. But um, there's another one called The Reef. Very well done. And there was a sequel called The Reef 2, which is not very good. But I highly recommend The Reef if you can handle the intensity and the scares. Because they use real, a real shark or real sharks. And they got away with quite a bit in there. There's some, there's some intense moments, including one that comes at the camera. They put bait on a camera and got the shot of it biting the camera. And that, that was one of the best jump scares I've ever seen. It made me jump. And I knew it was coming because I had watched it on YouTube before. And it still made me jump good. So if underwater creatures terrify you, like giant squids or giant sharks, then it's a good subgenre to explore. If you're not into shark movies that are scary, watch uh, uh, Pixar's uh, movies uh, such as uh, Finding Nemo, which is really good for kids, or even the movie Sharks, which is a uh, DreamWorks movie where the sharks are all friendly. And there's the line, uh, fish are friends, not food, you know, which makes every kid laugh. And, you know, so if you're into family-friendly stuff, there are family-friendly uh, movies with sharks in them. Like I said, Finding Nemo and Disney stuff, Pixar. But if you're into, if you really want to explore some really good shark movies, I've given you some examples. There's another one that takes place in a market that floods called Bait. A supermarket with sharks, which was interesting. The effects are not very good, but... Um, <clears throat> Jaws is a movie that is going to have its 50th anniversary in 2025. And the movie still holds up. Now, some may not like the animatronic shark because it looks like a giant puppet, which it, it is it, when it pops out of the water and moves its mouth. But there are moments where it's coming at the camera and it's terrifying. And it, when it destroys the shark tank, you know, in the one scene with, with Matt Hooper, it is a scary moment because he, having, having something that's 25 feet long and three tons rushing at the cage to get you is just absolutely horrific. 
Uh, now I'll get into what Spielberg, what other movies Spielberg has done. Now this this is a free flowing uh, uh, test episode here. So I've talked a lot about shark movies. Now I want to talk about Steven Spielberg, one of my favorite directors of all time. He, everyone knows the man's work. He started off uh, directing television with episodes of Night Gallery, and he directed the first pilot TV movie of Columbo in 1971. And he worked under uh, or with Roger Corman. He, know, he, he became good friends with George Lucas, directed four Indiana Jones movies, Saving Private Ryan, E.T., Close Encounters of the Third Kind. His first movie was Duel. Dennis Weaver, Driving Out in the Desert, comes along a truck driver who at first he cuts off, he, he passes around gently, and then the truck driver cuts him off and it turns into a game of cat and mouse. And then it turns out the guy is really trying to kill him with his truck. And that's a terrifying suspense film. Um, and it... it it, it happened it's happened to a lot of people and it was it was from a story by richard matheson who with a friend of his uh this was in the 60s uh after jfk was shot they were playing a golf game and they decided to go home they were so upset about the news of the president being shot that they decided to go home and they took a side road around the mountains uh to get back to their their little town and they were followed by a very large truck that proceeded to run up on them and honk at them and really scared the heck out of them. And they pulled over the side and that truck drove by and they were terrified, shaking the Richard Matheson, who had a great writer's mind wrote man on a napkin or a piece of envelope that his friend had man chased by truck. So he took the idea, made it into a short story. It later was adapted to television and they made it a full length, uh, uh, feature film. After Spielberg went back and shot more scenes, uh, like the scene where he's sitting uh, waiting for the train to pass, the truck pulls up behind him and starts to push him into the train. And thankfully, the train doesn't hit him and he, he drives away. But um, those are extra added scenes for tension. And it ended up being a 90-minute feature film, and it put Spielberg on the map. He Then two years later, he directed uh, Sugarland Express with uh, Goldie Hawn. And then he got... That got him enough uh, money to make Jaws. He had pr trouble production on Jaws because of the shooting location and the shark kept breaking down. So Spielberg had to shoot the water scenes above the water and also do underwater photography, which was handled by Ron and Valerie Taylor, who worked for National Geographic. They actually captured real shark footage, and that's what they did for a living. Um, I believe they've passed since, uh, since then, many years, uh, a couple years back. But um, there, there was a really great shot where the shark is attacking the cage and Matt Hooper has already swam away and got to safety and the shark is tearing the cage up. What happened was the real shark got trapped in this miniature cage they built, got trapped in the ropes and was trying to free itself. And it looks very violent on camera. And they kept that footage. And with the boat next to the real shark that was about a 20 foot, 20 foot shark, with this little tiny cage, it looked the size difference it really worked. And it looks like the shark was ripping the cage up and then the shark freed itself and the shark wasn't harmed. But that footage is amazing. 
and they can't redo that again because um, you just can't get moments like that on film. It's like getting the magic hour with natural light when you're filming a scene. Today, they can just create it with a CGI shot. You know, they can do a digital matte painting of a sky or a, uh, a sunset or anything. Matter of fact, the way they do movies today is the actors are standing in front of a gigantic screen either that's green or blue. And that's how they create the environment. They still set up fake rocks or trees, you know, that look real. And that's how they film a lot of scenes with a digital background. And now it's a giant screen that goes all the way around the studio. And that's how they're able to capture with a 360 degree camera, capture the images. So if you're watching a new Guardians of the Galaxy movie, which just came out, volume three came out, and you're watching any new film from a couple of years back, you're going to see the green screening and the actors were never really at the location that they're I'm giving away the secrets, but you know, they're never really there back in the day. They used to film on location and real locations. They still kind of do that now, but there's restrictions. Now there's rules. You have to get permission from the country's government to film there. You have to have permits to film there. And some, some governments will, uh, will shorten your time. Uh, of how long you can film there. So filmmaking has changed, but it is still the same process of how things are done when they make a movie. You still got actors on set. You still have caterers to feed the actors. You still have the bathroom breaks. You still have all that stuff and you still have a schedule. You got to keep to get your film made and out there to the public. But the way special effects have changed, Practical effects are hardly used anymore. Real stunts are still used. Tom Cruise is keeping that going. And God bless him for it. Because Jackie Chen is making one or two more. And he's in his late, almost late 60s. And he's still doing um, action films. But going back to Jaws. The movie works on a psychological level. Because you can't see what's under that water until you dive underneath it or take a submarine underneath it. So the movie still works on that level of, of that uh, effect is what is down there swimming around. And ever since that movie, there was a huge fascination of undersea life as well as sharks. Um, the, the movie is dated on the information now on sharks, they have a lot more knowledge now that most sharks wouldn't behave uh, like the one does in the movie because it does become what's called a rogue. It's something that decides to stay in the area and continue to feed there until there's no more food supply. And it randomly attacks. There's no explanation for why the shark does what it does. In the movie, it's portrayed as a monster. And some people who study sharks don't like that, that they they uh they demonize this creature that has that lives for like a thousand years and just swims around and eats and reproduces more sharks as richard dreyfus says it's an all this thing does is swim and eat and make little sharks and that's all you know <laughs> that's what he says in the movie so jaws is a high recommendation and I would also recommend The Shallows, which stars Blake Lively as a young woman who goes out to this beach in Mexico 
this beach that's off the books. And she goes there because her mother had passed of cancer. Her mother went surfing there when she was her age at 25. And she encounters a great white shark, a 20-foot great white shark that is feeding on a whale. And she gets trapped on this rock and she has to figure out how to deal with the shark. And that's a pretty good movie, I felt. Uh, some others maybe didn't like it, but, you know, we all have uh, film, movies are subjective. Tastes are subjective. I thought The Shallows was pretty well done. It takes a little while to get going. But once the shark shows up, the movie becomes pretty pretty interesting and intense. There's some intense moments. But um, if someone asked me, why is Jaws so popular? And why is the movie so hyped and so beloved by people? I say, well, the best thing to do if you've never seen it is to watch the movie for yourself and to judge it on it on on your own merits judge it on its own merits of your own and then you might see the things that other people see in the movie or you might see a, an old movie that is overhyped and over over um i would say over uh what's the word i guess yeah overhyped is the word i'm trying to think of another word but um exaggerated uh, maybe, you know, exaggeration of, well, this movie's so great. But the 70s was an interesting time for horror films because of they pushed the boundaries of what could be seen and heard and experienced. You know, you have movies like The Exorcist that really push boundaries. And now how many, how many possession films do we have? We have too many to count. We have thousands of possession movies. And they just came out with one called The Pope's Exorcist starring Russell Crowe. It's the same film over and over again. Person gets, kid gets possessed. They bring in this experienced uh, 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 priest who has experience with exorcisms and he fights, does battle with the demon or devil that's in this child. The first movie, The Exorcist, I'll touch on this a little bit because I'm going to do a whole episode on The Exorcist uh, trilogy and The Exorcist series. The first film really hit a nerve with audiences because of how scary it was and that there have been at least six there have been more since this but there were six at the time real recorded exorcisms in the world and the vatican probably knows of more now I, i'm not a religious person i'm more of a spiritual person but something that evil and that powerful taking possession of a person and they have no, no control of their body and they do horrible and say horrible things. That's terrifying. So that works for a horror film. Uh, the exorcist has never been topped. And at the time, people passing out, people getting sick in the theater, people walking out of the theater. When a movie has that kind of power, you know, it's got to be good. And that's why many younger people have talked about the extras today say, oh, it's not that scary and it's too slow. It takes like an hour for things to go along. And so you, you got to build, build the movie and get to know the characters so that when the scary, intense, bad stuff happens, you really feel it. You really feel for the mother and this daughter going through this possession thing. The mother is played by Ellen Bernstein, who plays an actress who is watching her kid deteriorate and crumble before her eyes. And it's, it, to me, it, it's scary, but it's more emotional now when I watch it because of what she goes through. And now they want to bring back Ellen Bernstein for a new Exorcist trilogy that Warner Brothers wants to do. 
and they're going to continue from the old series. I don't know how they're going to do this. Ellen Bernstein is 90 as of this recording. And I don't know how they're going to get her back. And they want to get back Linda Blair as well, who played uh, the little girl Reagan. I don't know how they're going to do this. I wish they would just leave the idea alone and let the original film and the third one with George C. Scott, which is quite good. It's flawed, but it's good. It's better than the second one, which had Richard Burton and uh, as a priest and Linda Hamilton, Linda, uh, not Linda Hamilton, <laughs> Linda Hamilton possess fighting the Terminator. Oh, wouldn't that be a film? Um, there's a little humor for you. Uh, Linda Blair returns in the second one and they tell you more about the demon Pazuzu. They take you to Africa where the demon originated from, where it was originally causing trouble. I don't want an explanation. I think the original film is more terrifying because they don't explain where the evil came from. It's just there and you know, it's there and there's an ominous, scary, weird feeling about it. Um, similar to the Omen, which is another good classic movie that deals with the devil and the end of the world. And this, I mean, these are very touchy subject matters for people who are very religious. So when you do a movie that hits a nerve with those people and hits a nerve with regular audiences who don't go to church or don't have a religious convictions or beliefs, then your film is effective. I feel that the subgenre itself of possession films has run its course. If they are going to continue to do more of these type of films, they really need to have good characters that you care about that aren't annoying and written as a stereotype. An interesting storyline of why those characters are there and dealing with this experience and this evil. And also have a little bit of backstory, just enough to whet your appetite on this creature or this demon or whatever it is. And let the audience try to figure it out for yourself. Too many, too many films spoon feed you the story before it even gets going. And they spoil it. They spoil themselves before the reveal is done. Back in the day, you didn't see much of the creature. You had to use your imagination to understand what the creature looked like. And another film that did that really well, two films I'll mention, Alien and Predator. Arnold Schwarzenegger's Predator, you don't see that creature until almost all the way at the end of the movie. Like the last 30 minutes of the film, you see a lot more of the Predator. You see it in full, what it looks like. But most of the time, that creature is camouflaged with advanced technology. It makes itself invisible. If you've ever seen The Invisible Man, The New Invisible Man, it's the same concept. It's a suit that the character wears to make himself invisible. Only this, only this it was a armband piece of technology that the Predator punched in the keypad and made himself invisible. And you couldn't see him. All you saw was a silhouette of this, of this figure. And the glowing eyes was an effective moment in that movie when, they, when it reveals itself to Bill Duke. And he yells out, Sergeant! And starts shooting at the jungle. And they start shooting at the jungle. And by the time... They're done shooting at the jungle. The predator's already been way up in the trees and it's long gone, but it gets wounded. And you see the green fluorescent blood. Anyway, that was Predator. The other film, Alien, does not show you the creature until about the halfway point. After the chest bursting scene, you see what it looks like as an infant. And then maybe 10 hours, 12 hours go by and it's already grown to this seven foot giant sentient warrior with a double jaw and acid for blood and saliva for blood or saliva for acid. 
and it stalks and starts to kill off the crew members one by one. And Alien is another great movie, which I'll do a future episode on. But that's another example of not showing the creature too early, giving you the suspense. Already the spaceship you're on, the Nostromo, which is a giant mining ore ship that mines planets for resources, is dirty and filthy and it's dark and there's very little light in there and it's a creepy already moody atmosphere then you throw in this alien creature that gets on board and starts knocking off these people that you get to know and you really like all the characters even the ones who aren't unlikable you say i don't want to see them get it and you don't know who's going to get it as well which also made for a great suspense and i love the film score by jerry goldsmith who did a uh, alien so coming to a close here this is just an example of what my show is going to be about. This is a very free-flowing um, subject matter on, on horror and why I love it so much. But I'm going to get into killer doll movies. I'm going to get into ghost movies. I'm not a believer that much of in ghosts, but I believe I like I like ghost movies. Although I've had some strange experiences with, um, with things that I can't explain. But as I've gotten older, I'm really not into actual ghosts um i'm not really a deep deep believer but i know there's something that has to be there that can be heard or felt so this is your host leo signing off and i wish all of you very well and remember to stay scared and tune in next time because i have a lot more to say in this big dome in the Gate of Doom and the Dungeon Podcast. Thank you very much, and you have a great every day. Thank you.